Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. This week, all of the hosts are on board, Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and myself, Mark Raycroft. And for this show, we're joined with friend of the podcast, Charles Glatzer, to talk about and dive into winter wildlife photography. We cover plenty of tips, tricks, and tactics, as well as destinations. So get comfortable, and here we go. I, I want to hear should... about winter stuff. We're going to do some pro tips oh, today, people. Just... I think we should do one on beards, like how photographers all have little, well, I don't know what that scruff is on you, but, but you know, the you other guy. Are you talking to me? <laughs> Who's he at all three of us when he does that? <laughs> There's salt and pepper on Ron. Hey, I see you got, you got a little gray over here, bud. Oh, I'm bad. Yeah, he's talking to you now, Raycroft. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what the hell happened? <laughs> it's uh, it's nothing it's happened. Yet. I was it's 18 when this happened, so really, I I never knew any different. Really, was the trauma? No, it was genetics. It's Wyoming it's water. Like, yeah, the Wyoming mineral water. water, the mineral water in Thermopolis. Yeah, that's what it was. Fracking with your face. Yeah, stop. <laughs> it helps in the winter. You shave that off, Chaz. Oh, yeah, I know. It out in the breeze. No, I know. Anyway. I know. I just cut it back. I had it up here, and I cut right it down. On. Oh, so you were true wildlife photographer, looking like the bear. Yeah, it was like this. It was the biggest uh-huh. it's ever been. I sort of liked it. You know, my wife's like, you're too anal, man. That's coming off. I know it is. She goes, I'm not saying anything one way or the other. And a couple of days later, I was like, ah, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> But well, definitely, if you're home for a bit, and it's warmer there. Yeah, I'm home till like, jeez, uh, January 13th, 16th. Well, it's not that long. No. Yeah. We'll but see are you going to a warmer climate or a colder climate? Where, where am I going? Yeah, warm or cold? Not going back to Yellowstone, so yeah, it'll be cold. Oh, okay. Yeah, so how you. long do you go there for? You're going from January 16th to what? Till February same 16th. Nice. And then I head to Africa on uh, on the. 26th what part of Africa? are you gonna have any Tanzania. are you gonna have any breaks in between yeah yes. a couple of days yeah yeah from the 16th till the 26th so 10 days i'll be home and then i'm gonna try it. to be up there a couple times are you guys in gardner uh well we, we cruise around so i have three different groups coming through mm-hmm. so we do um up at mammoth and then we go to snow lodge and then back and it's kind of, it's tough, man. It's 14 hour days for like a month, you know? Yeah. So does that make up, so tell us a little bit about that trip. Is it a snow coach or are you just doing Yeah. A, no, oh, yeah, we, it's cushy. No, it's cushy. Yeah. So we got the snow coaches and then I got the, the van and, um, and Lamar. Yeah. So we do the interior and, and all that stuff. And, what yeah. Is it done from the coach or beside the coach or do you have these, is everything photographed from the coach or beside no, the coach? No, not at all. No, oh, nothing good. shot nothing from cool. beside the coach. Yeah, yeah you get out. And they, they did away with all the, you know, the big tracks and all that stuff. They went to wheeled vehicles. So the, they're a lot quieter. The ride's a lot softer. Um, you know, they made it a little smaller, kept the same price. You know, so now we can only put like, you know, five or six people in them, you know, as before. But that's okay. It makes for a more intimate group and stuff. And The wheels that you're talking about, those are those those. They took the tracks off, and they're using those great big, like, tractor yeah. tire yeah. wheels? Oh. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, yeah. Misty and I drove through Yellowstone. We saw those, and I was like, "What is that? I didn't know what they were doing." But those are for the snow. Well, now. the tracks, the tracks yeah, are getting like two, two miles a gallon. Yeah, it was ridiculous when I yeah, did it. Yeah, and they're running the engines in like low, so they had a like you know every week they were changing oil, blowing seals, and right. you know, and they bringing them back, and the guys were like, "Look, you know, we're not warrantying this stuff. You guys are killing them." You know, so now they're getting. I think it's almost like like five or six gallons. You know, you know, a mile a gallon and less maintenance and all that other stuff. But so right. you know, less noise and all the other crap, and doesn't eat up the snow as bad. And you know, huh. so yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's better for the park, better for the wildlife. Yeah. Um, you know, they still got all the snowmobiles running around it. You know, but yeah, it's good. So then, It'll where do you go after Tanzania? Uh, what is that? That's February, March, April. I have a couple of gigs in Florida. So I have um, the tech series that I do, which is four days. And then I have I have between between March and April, somewhere in there, I have four speaking engagements for per canon. So some are out west, some are up uh, New England area, that kind of stuff. So all that kind of comes in between. So how does yeah. your your uh your spring then must go by pretty fast. If you got 14 oh, yeah. hour no, days you and you're back fast. to back to back to back, I mean, that's oh, crazy. It's it, crazy. I look, I look and it's like not even the weeks are going by. It's like, where'd January go? Right. What happened in February? Holy crap. It's September. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of creepy, you know, it really is. And now the, you know, the thing that's most valued to me out of this whole planet right now is spending time with my grandkids and my kids, you know, I'm getting older. I'll never get that time back. You know, so that was part of the glove thing as an exit strategy, you know, to be able to say, okay, I don't have to travel for an income and all that stuff. Because unfortunately, you know, I built the whole thing around me, right? You're the brand, you know, so it's it's hard for me to try and get other people. But, you know, we were talking about that, you know, so I got, um, you know, Doug Gardner's going to do some uh, cinematography classes for us and, you know, try and get some other guy to do maybe a landscape, you know, because that's not my forte. So if I could surround myself with people who have expertise in areas that I don't, then I can grow the business, keep the brand up, you know, and that kind of stuff. And it's not all sitting on my shoulders. You just got to make money while you're sleeping, Chaz. So that, yeah, if you send Doug out and you take a nap and you're making some money, then you're all good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that uh, your, your tours are popular and you just got to keep them going. I mean, what was it when I was a kid? When I was first starting out, Joe Van O's was the the yeah. tour. That was the thing, right? Everybody just knew about Joe Van O's and but it was just what you're talking about. It was one I don't know, there was a bunch of photographers that led those tours. So Yeah, so now it's Joe and Nat Hab and, you know, all these big companies and you can't compete with that. You know, cheese. Oh, I think stuff you could. I don't I think you could. Yeah, if I want to go that well, route. Well, unlike at a boutique but. level, if you're going to get a bunch of people like Doug, you know, say you get five people like Doug in that quality of a of a class or a, of an instructor and a person and then call it quits, that'd be perfect for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's plenty of people. You know, I don't, I don't want a lot of people. I mean, if I get three or four and stuff, and I had another company like two days ago call me up and say, hey, do you want to work for us? You know, and I'm like, what? You know, so I said, you know, maybe there'll come a time where I don't stop, where I don't want to, uh, dogs whining, where I, where I don't <laughs> want to do that, you know, um, on my own with my own office. And maybe I'll just, you know, if and when I ever, you know, get that retirement thing, I don't know if that'll ever happen. Probably have to die before that happens. You're not that type of, I think we're all the type of person. None of us will ever retire. No. Well, we still enjoy it. I Nothing better. I love being out there. 
right. know, for me now, it's a little bit more of the fishing than it is taking groups out. So I still get the wildlife experience. I'm still out there, you know, and uh, it's kind of cathartic for me. I just relax and nothing, every, you know, everything else goes out of your head. You know, the, the sitting there and it's just, you know, it's just me and I can chill out. Yet I'm still in the environment that I love. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, tell us yeah. a little bit about the gloves that you've mentioned a couple of times because that's one, one of the reasons we wanted to get you on the show. You've been on a couple of times, but then when you talk yeah. winter photography and then you just came out with these gloves or you didn't come out with them, they've been around, you actually are importing them into the country. And then Ron got me a pair and I used them on a shoot in Minnesota in eight degrees and I was like pretty darn warm. I thought, well, maybe we're onto something, so let's get Chaz on and talk about this. Yeah, the glove thing, what ended up happening is, I don't know if you know Eric Miola. Eric was one of the top commercial guys in the world, knew him for a long time. So anyway, he found out about these gloves from uh, Austria. And he said, Chaz, you should check these things out. They were originally designed for the, the German and Austrian military, custom, you know, for them to fire weapons in the cold weather. So obviously they have the dexterity, you know, and the, and the tactical ability, you know, to, to work the, the weapons. So I ordered a pair from, from Austria, and they were expensive to get here. You know, all that kind of stuff. I checked them out, and I said, oh, these are the best gloves I've ever ever tried. And probably like all of us, I have a bin of gloves that are supposed to work that don't work. Either they're real warm, but you got to pull your hand out, you know, and then your hand's cold again. And, you know, or they don't have the dexterity and all the other stuff to, to operate the little buttons and things that we need on our cameras. So I was like, these are the best out there. So uh, inadvertently, I said to him, by the way, do you have anybody who's selling these in the U.S.? And they said no. So that's how it all started to rock and roll, and they've been very good at listening to suggestions and modifying the gloves. So we had originally, it was called um, the Heat 3, which was a built-in liner in a mitten shell, right? So you would uh, put your hand in there, and the liner's built in, and then you could open the flap up, stick your fingers out, right, and your thumb out if you wanted to, or just put your index finger and your thumb out. But the liner wasn't uh, windproof, it wasn't waterproof, uh, but it still worked. Right. So rather than take the whole glove off, you could just expose those two fingers to operate the camera or fire a weapon. So I there we changed it all now. This year they're coming out with um, the material for the liner glove is windproof and, and very water resistant. So now that makes more sense. But the liner's built in. Right. So if down the road, you know, it was to tear or something like that. OK, what do we do? So I said, we need to come out with something that's like a layer system, something that's independent of it. You know, so now we have seven different liner gloves. And depending upon the temperature extremes and what you need, um, you can choose whatever liner you want. So we have a, a thin liner glove, and then we have a Winpro, then we have a Polar Fleece, then we have a Merino. You know, so they all have different fabrics, different uh, uh, kind of temperature ratings, right? And then that goes in the shell independently. So now you can wear the liner glove by itself, or you can take your hand and put that inside the shell, which is two different fabrics. There's a full goatskin leather. And the reason we chose goat skin leather is it remains supple even if it gets wet. So when it dries, it doesn't get hard like, you know, like a deer skin wood or something like that. And it's um, Primalov gold, and it's, it's the warmest one that we have. Uh, that one does have an opening for the thumb so you can stick your finger out. There's another one if you're doing snowmobiling or just skiing where you don't need the thumb, right? So that's fully sealed, and it's got a longer gauntlet. So if you're doing dog sledding specifically or you're doing... Uh, you know, things that you don't need the dexterity, per se, you can do that. So between the liner glove, putting that in the full leather glove, we just uh, were doing the polar bears again in November, and it was minus 30 degrees, and I had no problems at all. And everybody on the trip had them. 
You know, so I think the word's out now. The brand is really going out. If you go online and you punch in Heat Company gloves or Heat Smart gloves or whatever, man, it is everywhere. And it's not just for the photography market. You know, so we're getting um, special forces and military, which is what they were designed for. You know, so those guys are buying them up now. Snipers, you know, sitting in the, you know, in a you know sniper nest for five hours at a time and not moving kind of thing. You know, or all that kind of stuff. Or hunters are buying them. And the ski market and outdoor, you know, um, uh, I guess winter outdoor professional market, you know, as well as, uh, you know, snowmobiles, skiing, all that kind of stuff. We're using them. And uh, so then we're looking for the hunting market. And we got military and law enforcement. So everybody's learning that these things work really well. You know, fire department, mm, you know, they're looking into them a little bit as well, but, you know, they're going to get soaking wet and, you know, I'm not sure. So, so I yes. was on a shoot. We were shooting in Minnesota, like I said, it was eight degrees out and I took those gloves with me and I've only had one other pair of gloves in my life that would actually keep my hands warm. But they're like you said earlier, they're mittens and it's either all on or all off. There's no in between and you're not running a camera with these mittens, but they're super yeah. warm. I can stay, you know, it's the only pair of gloves that I've ever had where if your hands are cold and you're out in the woods and you put your hands in these gloves, it'll actually warm up. Yeah. So I'm, when I'm going to Minnesota and it was minus degree temperatures whenever, just before my trip. And I thought, oh man, it's going to be so cold up there. And then, you know, it had gone up to eight when I got there, which is still cold. It's not what yeah, you were yeah. doing in polar bears. Sure. But I'm videotaping. We were doing a project for lacrosse boots, right? So they wanted snow. They wanted nasty. Well, that's what we got. We had snow, nasty, cold. But I'm running video. So I'm trying to, you know, I can't. It's a gimbal system, and I'm having to use my thumb to turn it on and off, and then just, I could keep my hands in, but my thumb's out all the time, and my thumb got so cold that I couldn't feel it. Yeah. It's like, I couldn't feel if I was pushing the button to turn the camera on and off. So, you know, it's just, it's not going to fall off. You just deal with it, and you, you know, it'll be over soon enough, an hour or whatever, we're done, we'll get back to the truck, and we'll warm up. But I thought, okay, well, I still got to walk back to the truck, and it's another, whatever, mile away, and I... Put that little thumb thing back over my over my thumb and it actually warmed my thumb back up yeah i was pretty amazed i was i, I told ron i said we're gonna have to talk about this on the podcast because it's the only second pair of gloves that i've ever had that'll warm my stuff up when it Which already got so cold that you can't easier. it's why you know, i got frost on two fingers playing the game already you know and uh it's no joke man your fingers start to get cold i mean you're doomed the biggest thing is to keep your core warm Right, so if your core is warm, then your extremities are warm. Yeah, you know, because yeah. blood pumping out. If you get cold inside, right, then the blood rushes inside, and your extremities get cold. And know? we'll get and tell people, we'll get back to the gloves, but let's talk about that for a minute because we all photograph and film in cold weather environments, and we have had a couple people ask in the past, how do you dress for the cold? So as far as keeping your core warm, you know, what do you? What do you guys use? I mean, I, I start with a generally a silk layer, and then I'll, I'll put a polar fleece layer over that. And Mark is modeling right now his uh, <laughs> Newfoundland. Just imagine Newfoundland. You a silk layer as your base layer, buddy. Mark doesn't <laughs> shoot in the cold because he's now an Australian photographer. He just <laughs> likes the warm weather. He's snuggling up the possums. Well, where he's made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is worries made if you're imagining me and my silkies. <laughs> you're the one describing it. Seriously, who doesn't wear merino wool? You guys don't mind player? if I cut the video off, right? Oh, 
It's merino no. wool all the time. I'm back in Canada. It's freezing cold. It's going to warm silk, up the next couple of days. Silk, silk is no. better for wind. For and what? Wyoming for wind. wind. But it's your base layer. You, you shouldn't. The only wind on the base layer is coming from you nowhere, not from outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You got to have got Maybe have that's silkies. what you mean. It's protection there. All right. From inside. Got to have silkies. And then you put a wool polar fleece base layer or a mid layer and then your shell. So that's your recipe. That's what keeps that's, you warm in that's Wyoming. That's my recipe. In Wyoming, the wind is the biggest thing. That's your it happy doesn't place. it doesn't necessarily get that cold very often. I mean, you'll get 20 below, but the wind is what causes the biggest issues and and drives people back out of the field. So but the wind's your shell, not your undies. You'd never dealt with Wyoming wind and you need two shells. You have an outer below. shell and an inner shell. That's what you're telling us. I think a nutshell, maybe. <laughs> it's I like a, a gum what is it? A gum breaker. What do they call it? Jawbreaker. Jawbreaker? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see. All right. Yeah. What? I'll just take a moment to reflect uh... back to our teeth and think about jawbreakers for a moment. They were cool and we're lucky we still have our teeth, maybe. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. I don't know. I'm not going to have them for very long, I think, because of that. What's you your recipe? Without signal on here. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we but didn't intend I, to. Do I, we <laughs> have multiple layers. We right? didn't I mean, intend to, crazy. but. It's pretty crazy cold. We can go over the whole thing. You can start at your feet, work your way up to your head if you want. Yeah. You know, the whole crazy thing. But I'm typically wearing either Kaplan or wearing a merino wool as a base. Right? And then I kind of go from <laughs> then I kind of go from there. So either something like this, you know, Sherry's like, you better stop killing those polar fleeces, you know. But you know, every company's got it, and they stick their name on it or whatever. But um, you know, power dry stuff like that. You know, merino wool for me is is kind of better. I don't have to take as much equipment because it it doesn't uh, get an odor, you know, that kind of stuff. So I can you know wear kind of the same clothes over a week if I need to. Um, but that's basically my base, and then I kind of go from there. And I have uh, synthetic um, pants. You know, that I could wear underneath like a, you know, a shell pant, you know, or I have, you know, goose down pants that I can wear, you know, so I could put merino wool base and then I could put the goose down pants if it's crazy cold. And then if I really need to, I can put the wind blocker on top of that, you know, and then we kind of go from there. The mid layers, you know, so I used to wear um, like a, a goose down mid layer and then throw a goose down parker over or just like a, you know, an arcteric shell or, you know, whatever I need so I can vary temperatures and stuff like that. And I agree with you 100% that, for me, the most important piece of gear is that shell. You know, it's that pant and that jacket, which I'm going to use basically in, in all environments, you know. And that's important for me, so I could just kind of layer whatever's underneath it. But when it gets real cold, it's full goose down parkas. I well, used but what do you do when it's so cold? You know, as photographers, we stand around a lot, right? Because you are yeah. not on the move. Now, when I was doing the shoot for lacrosse we were they were pheasant hunting so i'm just following this these guys hunting and they're hunting with dogs so they're just constantly going right so that helps you keep warm and keep your feet warm Definitely. but i've also done shoots with eagles or whatever in alaska where you're standing on ice for eight hours a day what is that one footwear that that you get that keeps you especially like if you're doing polar bears up and on and you know have you ever done the polar bears where there's the babies are coming out of the dens I, I haven't done Wapusk with the babies, watching. No, I haven't but either. I, but I've they stand there forever. for eight to ten yeah. hours in the same Minus spot. Yeah. yeah. So what do you do for your feet, your feet in those kind of temperatures? So here, here's what I. So I have a bunch of different boots, right? I have Arctic muck boots. So if it's kind of like a, a wet, you know, damp condition, 
those work pretty good. The Arctic Pro muck boots, they're you can get down pretty decent temps. But again, if you're moving, you know. And by the way, before that, let me preface it by this: those ratings on the boots, half of them are nonsense, man. Good to a minus a hundred degrees. Yeah, if you're jogging, you know. But just <laughs> like you said, if you stay still, no, it's not. There's it's not, not one you know, out there. It's not a reality. No. So, so we went through the the Arctic muck boots to the Baffin Extremes. Those are what I was using as a go-to, but they're big, bulky, all that kind of stuff. Now, um, uh, forgot the other company. Anyway, uh, there, there's another one, right? That the same kind of thing. They're real big. You know, Cabela's has them and stuff like that. But honestly, now, if the weather is not damp and it's just cold, I went to the Steger Mucklucks. You ever seen those? They're unbelievable. They were I made for the Iditarod. They're made for the Iditarod. We wear them in minus 30 now. All they are is moose hide. Right, just moose hide and wool felt liners. They weigh nothing, but the bottom of the footbed is somewhat soft. So when you're walking, your foot is getting massaged. And I don't know how on the planet they work, but all the guides in Yellowstone who run around in minus 30 degrees have them. All the people, most of the people in Alaska who are running around um, doing Iditarods and things where it's not wet, right? So you can spray the moose hide with like a silicon spray, but they're not made for real wet. And I don't have any problem anymore. And these things are small, they're light, they keep your feet warm. They're Steiger mucklucks, they're made in Ely, Minnesota. They're the best things I've ever found. So if you're in snow, that's fine. If it's cold, it's not melting, you're fine, the, they perform well. But if you're, oh, yeah. if it's slushy, you don't want to wear these. Nah, but if it's nah, slushy, slushy it's warm enough you don't need that. It's not that cold. Right? Right. It's like, I'm going to get a big giant park and it's going to be waterproof down. If it's cold enough for me to be wearing that down, it ain't. I don't care about waterproof. Right. 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 It's, exactly. It's, you know, yeah. the snow's powder at that point anyway. And well, that's pretty cool. I'll have yeah. to check those out because that. Oh, sounds... man, they're, they're the best things I've ever found. Yeah. Steiger, S-T-E-G-E-R, Steiger, I think, or Steiger, uh, Mucklucks and uh, Ely, Minnesota. Yeah. Just look, check them out online. See, I think a lot of those natural materials is the way to go. Everybody like I've been trying to buy a new pair of hiking boots. I cannot find a nice pair of hiking boots. Online, I know where I can find them if I drive up to a place that Mark and I went in Estes Park. But I hate oh, Gore-Tex in my in my shoes. All it does is make my feet sweat, and then of course you get cold right away. And if exactly. you're sweating, you're you know. And I think this natural stuff just allows your feet to breathe more than any of these synthetics. You put on a pair of rubber boots, what's going to happen? You're going to sweat. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. That's why these moose hide boots they breathe. So your feet might feel slightly cool. But that's from an evaporation process. But my feet are never wet. Right. They're never wet. I mean, they're, they're crazy work, you know, and you can get two different beds of, uh, you know, fell liners and stuff like that, you know, and then working your way up, we got, you know, we went to the to the glove things, you know, and I, uh, it's just, I think I have a, a black rock, it's called, you know, it's a, um, like a, a goose down, just a cap, you know, like a skull cap kind of thing, you know, so you were talking about like just goose down gloves, you know, or something like that. Right. With just a little cap, and even that works really well, and it's super light. What about your face when you're in, you know, because your nose can get really, you can get frostbite there pretty easily if you're not careful. And <laughs> Yeah, my nose turned black three times. Really? Yeah so, yeah. yeah, so just a tip, and that's from, you have a balaclava on, yeah. right? So the balaclava has a lot of moisture from your breath, then you pull it down slightly, and then you... Uh, stupidly stick your face to the back of a minus 30 degree metal camera so i might as well just go out and lick a flagpole you know? <laughs> so i'm telling you within one minute that metal camera and that wet nose 
Yeah, not a good deal. I mean, instantly the skin, like, you know, freezes, you know, and it's like freezer burn right on the end of your nose. So luckily it all healed, took a while, all peeled off and stuff like that. And uh, even this year I got it, you know, from like one minute. And when we were in Churchill, I met a couple other people and I said, hey, welcome to the club. I see you have the same badge of honor, <laughs> you know. So they had the, the dreaded black end of their noses, but it's no joke. So, yeah, balclavas are seriously important. Um, I wear glasses, unfortunately, and I don't care what you're wearing. They fog, and that is a major problem when you're shooting the cameras. Well, you so know? does so the, the eyepiece, the, the viewfinder on the camera even fogs up, even if you yeah, don't wear glasses. So. Yeah, it freezes up. So you got to breathe out the corner of your mouth. You know, you can't breathe through the viewfinder, otherwise it crystallizes. And, yeah, there's a lot going on with all that. Um, one guy's like, oh, I just put a snorkel in my mouth, and I breathe out the side, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> one guy told me he holds the camera upside down. I go, that's just you're making that up. You can't hold the camera upside down and operate the buttons. You know, that's <laughs> just makes no sense at all. That's Hollywood. Yeah, that's nonsense. You know, and I also <laughs> shoot like this, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know about any of that, but but it's important, you know, so you got ball clobbers and, you know, full face masks and anything exposed skin and minus 30, minus 40 is a big problem. Right. You know, and then you get the wind on top of it and you it's no joke. You know, but it's like Canada, right? There's no bad weather, only bad clothing. And it's true. I mean, I got the right gear, you know, and I don't worry about it. I mean, we go out in that minus 30 and I'm toasty. You know, I never really get cold. You know, the the trips that you're talking about with extended stays out there, that's problematic, right? So we go out. Um, usually if it's that cold, the guides have us walking around, right? So the mobility is firing up calories and, you know, circulating blood and we stay warm. But... But, yeah, for you guys who are sitting out there with videos, you know, and not moving, you know. I remember seeing yeah. Doug out in Yellowstone, you know, essentially dug himself a little snow pit. You know, and his whole goal for a month was to get the coyote catching the, you know, the trout in the winter. You know, and there's two spots that it happens. That's it. You know, two basic spots where they'll do that. He was in that hole for eight hours a day, man. I mean, woo, you know, just sitting in there. And you, you better have the right gear. Yeah. Know? Yeah, and I I don't know that there's that perfect thing out there. I mean, because there's always going to be something if you're just sitting there. But so few of us actually do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's just so special. It's like doing what Doug does. Or if you're trying to get the polar bears coming out of the dens in Canada. I mean, Mark, right. you probably know of a few others up there what you would do. If you're going to go do muskox, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's pretty sparing, but. You yeah. don't even have to go that far north. Or, you know, central Ontario, even midwinter is yeah. freezing cold. You've got to deal with it. And I think it's smart to build a good kit. And it's it's worth the money because of comfort, longer stay in the field, less frostbite. We, you know, for those of us like you, Chaz, have had that experience, the pain associated with that and the sensitivity oh from there on, right? Yeah, it's, it's permanent damage. Yeah. So it's, they're quick to fire up again, right? right they just right. seem to be more vulnerable to it. So I like to double up on the balaclava. More than one layer on the head is, is, is a big deal for me in the winter. Two toques, not one, winter hats. And then the, then the hack from last year that I spun when I was in northern Alberta freezing in a, in a photography blind was the hand warmers in the cheeks between the balaclavas. Okay. So my, you know, just to shake up hand warmers I was using. I, I carried the, the foot ones too. You know, they buy me another three hours in the field on my face and my feet. So just tucking those in helped a lot. Have that yeah. heat generating on my cheeks, and it resonated across my face. But yeah, the balaclava is a big deal. But two of them, and they don't have to be identical. You know, you can get some with an open face. Right. So the one balaclava has covered the nose and the face, and the other one's an open face. But you're 100% right, Chaz. I wear glasses when I'm filming as well, and 
I have to pick the balaclava carefully, and even then, it's it's a management issue as far as fogging and, and extreme. Yeah, cold. somebody's got to go on Shark Tank with a balaclava that seriously works, and and I probably have ten different ones. Some I bought in Norway that have tubes that come out the side, you know, to try and project your, uh, you know, your 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 breath away from you know the the front of the your face and stuff like that. But unless you seal it like over your nose, you know, then it's a problem, and then, you know, humidity comes up, fogs the glasses real quick. So. The, the Sirius Balclavas, the company Sirius, has larger holes where your mouth is. So it serves two kind of purposes. You know, first, it's, it's going to expel the air a little quicker, but because of that, it goes a little further out, right? So that it doesn't tend to go straight up and fog my glasses as much. So that's kind of what I ended up going back to. You know, it's um, like a light neoprene, you know, and it's pretty warm. But like you said, I have one that's almost got a magnet on it, you know, that kind of covers your whole head. And then it's got a piece that wraps around the front so I can wear that. And then I usually throw a, you know, like a toque on top of it. You know, my mid-layer always has a, a hood on it now. I never buy a mid-layer without a hood. You know, so that stays on. And now you got three layers. And then if you need the parka, you throw that on. And that's got a hood. The, the biggest problem that I found for all these parkas is that the, the front doesn't go out far enough to block the wind. So you can buy like Himalayan Summit parkas you know, that are designed to go up to Everest and all this stuff. And the fronts, they don't go out far enough, you know. So, like, Canada Goose has them. I know, you know, Canada Goose is, you know, a big deal. For me, they were too heavy. You know, I couldn't use them. It took up its whole suitcase and all that. They were warm. But Fall Raven, Canada Goose, all has hoods that come out, and they have a wire stay. So you can position the hood around your face, you know, and then you get into the, you know, the whole big thing with the coyote roughs and all that kind of stuff and, you know, people don't like it because we're, you know, trapping coyotes and everything. And I understand all that, you know. But, but again, unless you can find something that's synthetic to replace that, that's a really important piece that you need on the front of that parka. Something to block that wind, you know, to dissipate or break it up so that your face doesn't freeze on the sides. I just picked up a Fall Raven parka, the first one I've owned. Well, yeah. Don't you have to say Fall? Fall Raven? Fall? Fall? Fall. I don't know, but that I... I, you know, I, I think the stuff rocks. I mean, that the G1000 pants, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're yeah. clothes. It's very, very well thought out. The materials are really good, you know, um, and the, the hoods and stuff. I mean, I just, uh, I think it's superior product. It's, it's, they're proud of it. it it's possible, oh, yeah. but well, you get what you pay for, you know. I yeah. saw my brother two days ago. He was wearing Canada Goose parka, and I showed him this. And I, I mean, they may be different models, so I'm not. It's not necessarily apples to apples, but the Fall Raven was half the weight. Yeah. Of the Canada Goose. Yeah. In this case, mind you, the shell wasn't as rugged, so I bought it an extra shell to put over top for if, okay. if for some reason it got wet. Right. Really wet. Right. I mean, I you know we have like a cold weather document that we send to everybody when they sign up for these trips, and right. then if you go on Churchill Wild's website, um, I did a little thing on for them on, on cold weather clothing and, and gloves and stuff like that, you know, so uh, um, they can check that out. If, I don't know if you guys are we'll sponsored by any kind of we'll shops or anything, but in the show notes for that. Yeah, if you punch on B&H, right, and you punch my name in, Charles Glasser Video, there's a couple of uh, little podcasts and things I did for them, you know, on cold weather and photographing, uh, you know, in snow for, you know, uh, white exposures and stuff like that as well for winter stuff. Um, but but yeah, it's important. I mean, it's no joke. You know, we're going out in crazy climates. So with these fantastic new gloves, these heated gloves that you're carrying in North America, I assume you're doing this with all your clients that love to go on your workshops, on your tours in the north in the cold. 
put build it into the price, throw a pair in for them. They love it. They talk about it. They promote it. Yeah, hundred percent. That's what we're doing. All right, on good. Yeah, that's what we're doing. So like the Arctic trips that we do for polar bears, everybody gets a pair. Um, the Yellowstone trip, we just kind of suggest it. You know, so when we send out the documentation, everything. Hey, by the way, this is what's available. You know, um, and yeah, it's it's two purposes. You know, it's good for us, and it, it is good for them. You know, and again, if it, they start to get cold, I don't care how much money you spent on a trip or where you're going. It's not enjoyable. You know, it's no joke. And the biggest thing with the gloves um, is when we're shooting. If you hold the the whole metal camera with your palm, it gets cold extremely fast in those temperatures, right? That metal is just conducting that cold. So all I do is is just stick my index finger and my thumb out of the glove, right? And that's the only thing that's operating the button. So my palm, which is the goatskin leather, that's what's against the camera with the Prima Loft insulation. So it works. I mean, it works. You know, it's the only thing I found that really works, and that's why I was touting them. You know, and that's why we started to pick up the distributorship and everything. But, but again, you know, the it, it's not just hype. You know, I believe in the product. I mean, it's the only thing that I found that really, really works. And, you know, for people like yourselves, the pros who are out in the field, you know, and when you guys give me that feedback and say, you know, this is something that, that works, there's nothing better I, you know, for me to hear. Well, there's a couple other things about them, too, whereas the, when you flip the, the mitten part over, there's a magnet on it, so it clicks down. So it's not like strong, flipping in your way. Strong magnet. Yeah. yeah. It's, they're, so they're functional, right? So I don't have to mess around with, I can't get this flap out of my way or it's in my way or the same with the thumb it had a little magnet on it and here's the attention to detail that we went through it used to be a click so you used to take oh, the, like a snap or something a snap yeah. right and i'm like well listen if i'm a sniper in the woods you know <laughs> or i'm a hunter in the woods i don't want no snap i don't want <laughs> velcro right. sounds and all that stuff so we did away with that and we went to silent magnets you know so you just put the magnets down and it's it's silly little things like that attention to detail you know, cuff uh, drawstrings. You know, things like that that, you know, you can uh, you can pull on the gloves. You know, to further. What do you call the? Um, I don't know. There's a little thing. I'm sure they're very popular up in Canada. But remember when you were a little kid, and your mom knitted you a pair of mittens, and it had that big long string that went through your sleeves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what what the hell was that it's called? It's like you never lost your mittens because there's always hanging there. Well, there's something similar on your gloves. Only very. It's not a knitted piece of whatever. It's a. Oh well, yeah, cuff, well, so we right? have the little wrist strap. There you go, a wrist strap. And yeah, I thought, so you can actually tether, you can tether all that together. So there's little clips and little um, spots to lock all that stuff together. So you can have the layer system attached to the to the shell midden, and then there's a third layer, right? There's a polar hood that goes over the whole thing, which is uh, pretty close to waterproof and definitely wind resistant. So you could put that whole thing over it, and they all stay locked together. So if you have to work on something and you pull them off. You know, then they're still attached, and then you just slip them all on. It's not like you got to play go fish for all the parts, you know, and you lose them all. So essentially, three layers, right? You got the liners, the midden shell, and then you got this polar hood that goes on top. So nice. yeah, we tried to think of all of it, and and we're definitely you know tweaking the stuff, right? So each year we might go, you know, let's do this or let's try and change that or, you know, maybe we'll find a better thinner material that's more dexterous that gives people you know more um, you know ability to manipulate camera controls and stuff. And uh, yeah, so it's 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 great. Yeah, I, I loved them. They worked really well when I used them. So we got to get some in Mark's hands. We, so Michael doesn't know it, but he got my old ones. Oh, great! I got hand me downs. Chaz, I'm gonna need a new pair because these have been. Did I, did I have little silk foofy liners that came with them? Or yeah, coming no. from Ron, you know, I don't know the little leopard Marino. skin liners or Marino. <laughs> oh, hold on. 
They're, they're Merino. All right, I'm not gonna. I'm not know. gonna open it up again. No, but don't, don't. We we had enough of that. <laughs> Rabbit. Yeah, too. I I like even, the the Merino liners. They're just they're warm, you know. And if they even get a little damp, they still maintain the heat, you know. So everything yeah. Merino, the whole that's base right. Merino socks. That's where I go. But yeah. I, I I have to be honest, Ron. I I have to say it too. But I have to be honest. I haven't tried the silk, so maybe I'll be a convert if. Yeah, don't, you know, but don't I don't want ten years old. Well, that's what I was gonna yeah. say. You know where to get. Yeah, he it, probably send will. Me your old pair. Send me a new pair. <laughs> you'll you'll be receiving a Christmas package here soon. Yeah. yeah no guarantees still, on still no guarantees on It's not really gonna keep you warm, but <laughs> stylish without function. <laughs> but you won't have that wind issue. No. All right, buddy. Wind's good. You know, I that's one of the things I I love the north. I mean, it's so much fun. As Australia and New Zealand was, I like the challenge of the cold. And I, I love the ch- the common sense reality to live in. I mean, the harsh elements of the North, the, the stories of Windigo and all these the lore of, and the, the, the cold sound in the pines as the wind goes through any time of year, but especially in the winter. To prepare for winter shooting is one of my favorite challenges. And the gear keeps evolving. So to have the best gear to make it most comfortable and then ultimately the safest trip possible for frostbite or anything else i mean there's all kinds of other elements to winter trips right as far as safety that we need to have be able to build fires and so on if we're out in the forest if we have to for emergency to stay warm but i i love talking about this stuff and if there's one weakness in my collection of gear it's winter clothing if i see something new that's gonna lighten the load or or make it safer i'm in i just something about being out and 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 then going in the woods and like yeah Winter yeah, stuff. There's something about it. Yeah, and I think I think for me, the ability to show people animals that live in these crazy, harsh environments, you know, in places that um, people will never get to nor want to get to, you know, is crazy. That struggle for survival, you know, and what they deal with and, you know, frozen bison in Yellowstone. I mean, it's iconic. You know, it's just, it's amazing, you know, and the wolves. And I mean, yeah, we, it's a gift, guys. We're all blessed to get, be able to do what we do, you know, and to show people you know, uh, what's out there and stuff. And I eat it up, you know, but I have a rack in downstairs in my house. It's, I, I think I could open my own REI. You know, I mean, it's like you said, you know, so if, if I'm wearing a pack, I can't wear goose down. You know, it just gets too hot. You know, it sweats and then my back is soaking wet. You know, so, you know, my wife's like, oh, what the heck? What is that? I go, well, this one's synthetic. It doesn't, you know, make me sweat when I'm like, what? You know, I said, yeah, listen, you'll get it if you're out there. You know, and you're doing it, and it's minus 30 degrees, and your life depends on it, you know. So, yeah, it's costly stuff, but, you know, better people hear podcasts like we're talking about, you know, and look up this stuff and find out exactly what to buy because the, the products are costly if you buy the right stuff. But, you know, if you can buy it once, twice, three times, you know, I don't know, whatever, um, you know, it all helps. Yeah. You know, the, the, no, go ahead. Sorry, Mike. The Fall Raven parka too is the first one i've owned that has a harness inside so yeah, there's strap harnesses and you just pop it off if, if you're too warm and hiking and it doesn't have to be stowed somewhere it's just hanging off the back but you're right you have to be smart if you're carrying a heavy pack yeah as well you know that yep. changes it too so so on this shoot that i did i was the guy i'm filming tony he's the podcast host for our other podcast he wears basically just a regular pair of uh, brush pants no under, I mean, it's eight degrees out. He's falling through the ice because we're on sketchy ice in these cattails. 
he's getting wet, but he's constantly on the move. He's following that dog. So, and you know, the longest hunt might be two or three hours and then you're back to the, the truck and you're going to the next spot. Cause he's hunting these little pieces of public land in, in Minnesota. So that dude is constantly on the move. So he's staying warm. Even, I mean, to a degree, when you're wet, you're going to be cold no matter what. Right. But me, on the other hand, I'm like crawling around on the ground, trying to get these cool angles and I'm wearing a base layer. I'm wearing pants over my base layer. I'm wearing my coveralls. Just because yeah. you're rolling around in the snow, you're just not, I can't. But then I'm sweating, like, to your point, to try to keep up with them. I'm just, like, I can't do it because I look like the Michelin man to start with. And then... But you bring I, up a great point. You know, it's temperature regulation, right? So some spots were stationary, other spots were moving. How do we regulate the temperature that we don't sweat, right? And that's where stay away from cotton, you know, wicking stuff like the merino wool, you know, and things like that or you know, Gore-Tex, Epic, you know, whatever kind of fabric you want to use, but you got to be eliminate, uh, be able to eliminate the vapor problems. And everything I have has zippers, you know. I mean, all of it, for my neck or for armpits, you know, whatever it is, so that if we are walking, i got to be able to vent, you know. Yeah. And, and you got to think about all that stuff. You know, people get turtlenecks that they're sealed up with, like, you know, crazy glue around their neck, you know, and then you start hiking, man. You're soaked. I mean, you're soaked, you know. And then if it's minus 30 and you're wet, I mean, that's no joke. No, that's we, that's we where it all muskox. falls apart. That's where it falls apart. We're doing the muskox up in Norway, right? So we're hiking up there, snowshoeing up these like thousand foot inclines and everything. You know, I got goose down pants with the whole zippers open on the side, so it's four degrees, and all I have is the zippers completely open with just my merino wool, right? And then I got the parkas off, man. I just got this on, and then when I stop, in the top of my backpack is the full goose down parka. You know, that's got to go on immediately when I stop, but it's got to be accessible and it's got to be, you know, able. I mean, it's just you got to think about all of it, you know, plan for the worst, hope for the best kind of scenarios. But temperature regulation, I think, is paramount. Yeah. You know, from midfall all the way through winter, I always have an extra merino base layer in my pack as well because it's inevitable. I mean, even though it wicks, I still yeah, if I'm on a big day all day hike, there'll be some point where I sweat. And depending on, you know, if we don't stop immediately it it can breathe and, and drive but it's good to have an ex there's not much weight to it right and then you have the fun experience of stripping down in the in the snow and putting on a putting on the dry layer and off you go again reset well the thing right. is when you're doing wildlife you can't stop and regulate you know you can't stop and take off this layer if you're going to try to to get that shot right and so yeah you do end up getting wet but if you're in a situation where you you can regulate all day then smart move is when you kind of feel yourself starting to sweat, just get rid of a layer. And that way you don't have to carry two sets. But I think with what we do, yeah, there's some situations where you just got to go and you're not, you don't have time. And, and the, the 30 seconds it takes to do it, you just don't, you know, that could make or break the shot. Right. You know, so they changed, they changed kind of the theory now. They're like, if you fall in the water, you know, you're supposed to take your outer layers off, but leave the base layers on, you know, and walk it dry. You know, and you're like, oh, I don't know if it's minus 30 degrees. I'm going to walk that dry. I think you might be like the Tin Man after like five or six steps, you know. You know, you're just right. going but to. But that's what they're saying, you know, so that you you don't have the evaporation from your skin per se. You know, but I think that that cold damp is going to evaporate and just make you colder. But they're like, nope, leave it on. You know, it still has an insulating quality and your body's going to warm up the, you know, the merino wool or polar fleece per se. So it has some insulation quality rather than just strip that stuff off. And I, I get know. that. I, I I don't know. I try it. You know. I, who knows? I think bare skin against that cold temperature is going to be 
That's pretty bad too. I mean, Oof. Yeah. carry the extra layer. Merino yeah. bolt, just the base layer. You know, I, and you know, three quarters of the time I never access it, but once in a while I'll switch out, and then, and then I am dry immediately. Yeah, I think Put that's the other a great layers idea. back on, and I feel so much warmer right away. It's, I mean, the light. Pants and the shirt, that's not much to put in the pack. I think you're right. I think that's an excellent idea. I mean, but I, you may, you know, walking, it's another experience, I'm sure. <laughs> but I'm just stripping off is a fun experience. But again, you get warm so quickly putting that dry base layer back on. Yeah. That's just me. That's my current tactic. But yeah, no, I, I makes, don't know. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. So we've yeah. talked a lot about the clothing and stuff. What do you guys do for gear when you want to protect that gear? I mean, I had issues where. There were there was a uh, two people riding around with the truck with us, and my I'd come out of the woods or come out of these cattail sloughs with that camera is just cold, cold, cold. Get in the car, and they want to fire that heater up. I'm like, um, we can't do that. You guys are just gonna have to. It's warm. You're out of the wind. You're in the car. Just you don't need the heater. Or if they turn the heater on, I'd roll my window down and stick the camera out the window. You know, just to keep it from fogging up. What do you guys do? Yeah, you get the condensation killer, man. Yeah. yeah, it's bad. So here's what I've learned, okay, being in the cold Arctic stuff, is once I get there, my cameras never come back inside. So it could be minus 30 degrees for a week. My cameras are staying outside, okay? So you have um, different indexes in the glass, right? The barrels now on the lenses, titanium, magnesium, aluminum, the cameras are all dissimilar metals. All that stuff contracts and expands at different rates. So until all of that, right, acclimatizes, my images are never tack sharp. They're not tack sharp. If I just jump out of the, the heat and run out in minus 30 degrees, that couple of minutes for all that stuff to acclimate, it just doesn't work for me. So what I've learned to do is just take the batteries out of the cameras and I take the cards out of the cameras and I will leave the cameras outdoors with a stuff sack over it, you know, or around it or, you know, out of the, the, um, you know, the, the snow or rain kind of situations, but it stays outside. You know, so the prosumer cameras, um, they will slow down, okay? All of them will start to slow down. I mean, you hit the focus point, and it goes, you know, and then it finally comes over to here. You know, you hear the drive start to slow. But and all I shoot for most of that stuff is the, the Pro 1DXs, you know, the Mark IIs now and everything, and they don't have any issues. I mean, just never had an issue at all. You know, whether it's 120 degrees or whether it's minus 40 degrees, the sucker's fire, you know, and, and for me, that's... You know, that's what I live for, right? I need that. I can't have this stuff bogged down. The mirrorless cameras now, that's a whole nother problem. So I see, and I don't care which brand it is, guys. It could be, you know, the, the S brand, the N brand, the, you know, the, the Canon guys, whatever it is. They eat batteries and they slow down and they do not do really well. They do not do really well in the super cold weather. They just don't, you know, and, and that's a big problem. Plus the damn buttons are so small on the mirrorless. You know, now you've got gloves on in the heavy winter. You know, when you're trying to operate these tiny little buttons and all that stuff, it's it's just problematic. So, yeah, you know, uh, it all comes together. You know, it's the best clothes you can wear. It's, you know, getting the, the top-grade cameras if you're going to be in those environments. Um, but the biggest thing for us is to put the stuff in stuff sacks. You know, it's the same thing on the buggies or in your car like you were talking about in the vehicles. The cameras are real cold. We got all this heavy clothes on anyway. So I don't keep the car warmer than, like, freezing temperature. You know, it's 32 degrees, man. The stuff doesn't doesn't fog up. Yellowstone, you know, or the Arctic where it's basically arid for the most part. You know, there's no humidity in the air. I can maybe sneak those cameras in a little bit, but I'm not taking the chance. 
You know, I've seen people take cameras from the cold, bring them into hot environments, right? And then they run back outside. And you know what happens? The shutters crack. You know, or they'll, they'll take the lens off when they bring the camera in. Now you have humidity that forms on the sensor, right? So any little piece of dust you have on that sensor now gets adhered to it like concrete. And you're not getting that off, man. You're nope. going to wet clean the camera. You might as well just put the thing away for the rest of the trip. So, so the other is, thing, too, is when you if you have to bring it inside, I always will take it in the outside. I'll take it, pack it up. I'll take the lens hood off. I'll get it all in there. I'll stuff it in my backpack and then I'll stuff my little rags that I or the little micro microfiber things all around it to insulate that cold in the camera, zip everything up cover it with a coat and then I'll take it inside and hopefully the rate it, it, in which it warms up will take two yeah, but, or three hours. And yeah, that's the problem though. That's the problem. If you put it in a thin stuff sack, the condensation will always form on the outside of the bag. You're right, right. Right? For the so condensation it, part, yeah. So, But it will acclimatize faster, right? Because it's not packed with all that insulation. When you put it in the camera bag, it just takes a longer time. So yeah. it might take a few hours. Yeah, I only you know, do that at the at the end of a trip. Like if yeah, I'm, okay, if yeah, you're done and you're you're gonna you're done shooting, that's how I'll warm the cameras up is just very slowly and just you know I yeah. just won't access those cameras until I'm somewhere else. All right, just pull the batteries and the cards out, you know, yep. for whatever you need to recharge and stuff like that. But I've seen people put it in stuff sacks, they bring it inside, then they take the battery and the card out. And I go, you know, that three minutes of you fumbling around now, you just defeated the whole purpose, right? Right, exactly. You can't do that. You know, do it outside. Yep. Um, yeah. Outside, I don't. I don't use like in the winter fully encapsulated covers, you know, like the Aquatech covers or the Think Tank covers. You know, I don't find that that's is problematic. If I work in environments that are uh, crazy sandy, you know, blowing sand, 50 mile an hour winds, you know, like in the Falcons where you're laying low, then I will use those fully encapsulated covers and stuff like that. You know, but otherwise, I don't need it. Most of the snow just blows off the top. You know, or you could put a thin lens coat cover on there or something like that, you know, that works perfectly. Um, but, yeah, another tip, right, you're talking about a little couple of pro tip kind of ideas and stuff, is I take little felt tabs. They're little quarter-inch felt tabs. This is um, what I was going to ask you about because we yeah, were talking about the gloves. And, yeah, Yeah. so you can get these little tabs at, like, Staples or you can get them at Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever. They're, they're made for putting on the bottom of glassware. And I stick them on the shutter button and the autofocus button on the back of the camera. So now they're raised up. So when I'm using the gloves and everything, they're perfect. I can feel them easily, you know, and I know where all those buttons are. And I usually take a couple of packs with me. It's like five bucks to get, like 50 of them, you know. And I take them and I pass them out on the group, and everybody's like, wow, those, that's a great idea. You can buy special made ones, you know, for $10 a piece. You know, I don't, it's just silly. The little felt ones work perfectly. That, that's one of the problems I had using the gloves. And I, I don't care what kind of gloves you're going to You're going to always have this problem. But if you're moving the focus point around... With gloves on, you don't have that dexterous kind of feeling. So if if you're moving it gently or if you're with your fingers, it's fine. You got that movement. You can just feel it, right? With gloves on, if I push, like on the Sony camera, if I push that, it returns it to center. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm so close and I'm so close. And then all of a sudden it's back at the center. I'm like, oh, I just missed that shot because now my focus point's over here. Or it's back here when it should have been over here. That's, right. I think the, your little trick there might come in handy for that. I don't know. We'd have to try you know, it out. I'm sure it would work. I'm sure it would work. I do the same thing on the back of the 1DX. So if I push the, you know, the joystick straight in, it goes back to the center, yeah. right? So that's part of the liner thing with the gloves. So 
there might be like a WinPro liner, which is a little bit thicker, right, that blocks the wind. But there's a Merino liner, which is a little bit thinner, which gives you more dexterity to feel the buttons. Right. Right? So, you know, you guys know this. I mean, the whole thing's the art of compromise, right? You know, we're trying to find the holy grail for everything, and I don't think it exists. You know, so we're making the most of it. So I've come down to using the Merino Pro liner, which is a little bit thinner, which gives me more dexterity for operating the camera buttons, you know, through the gloves. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a big, big point. So when sure. you buy those gloves, do you get all the liners with it? So you, or if do you, you have got to a big buy paycheck, per? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you can, it's, it's, it's just a system, right? So you buy whatever you think you need. Okay. Um, but again, just, you know, for, for your, uh, for your listeners, the, the warmest that I'm using currently is the Merino Pro liner, and then I get the full leather shell, and then if you really want to go the next level, it's the Polar Hood. But uh, honestly, I've only used the Polar Hood maybe twice, you know, in, in all the times I've been in really severe cold. But you once you put your hands in those liner gloves and those the other ones, they work great. And by the way, on the liner glove, there's a pocket on the top where you can put a hand warmer in there, and there's a pocket on the top of the mitten glove. Some people will open the mitten flap and stick a, a, um, a toe warmer in there because it has a slight adhesive. You know, so that works really good. Other people will take a warmer and put it near the wrist, right? Because the blood's going in, you know, into your wrist, and that'll work. So different strokes for different folks kind of things. But, uh, you know, I've, we've, one year, shit, it was, oops. Anyway, it was uh, like <laughs> minus 40, you know? And that's cold, man. But as long as my hands were inside those mittens, they were toasty. I mean, not cold at all, yeah. you know? So, hey, they work, you know? Well, you know, you times. were talking about all the layers earlier. I'm the same way. I have all the, I try to buy a hood on each layer. And then a lot of times I'll buy a lot of this hunting stuff because they just seem to make this performance built in. And this particular jacket I have has those little pockets in oh, the sleeves yeah. on it, you know. So I'm not using it for hunting, but I'm using it for similar stuff. And it's got all this stuff built right in. So I always look at that. And it seems to be priced better. I mean, than the outdoor market, I, to, well, in my mind. There's fashion wear, and then there's stuff that we can really use in the field that's designed by people who are actually out there, right? right? It's like camera engineers. Well, here's the engineer. Well, do you use that stuff in the field? No, right? So, you know, if, if they're listening to us, the guys who are out there using this stuff, you know, and they put that stuff into, uh, into the design of the, you know, the clothing, yeah, people will use it, you yeah. know, and it works. It's not just fashion stuff, and unfortunately, a lot of the companies are doing that. You know, I mean, if you look at a lot, a lot of the, the North Face stuff, they went towards more, you know, fashion-oriented than they did the high-end stuff. So they still have the Summit Series, you know, which is their, their high-end stuff, and that stuff is designed for guys like us that are that are seriously using it, you know. Um, and we appreciate it for sure. But it's hard to get. You can't just roll down it to, like, a, to a sporting goods store and pick it up. you got to go to a specialty store to pick that stuff up. Yep. Well, well, yeah. I cut you off, Ron. What were you going to ask? Well, we were talking about the gloves. I was going to say for for a long time, I just wore the liners. Even and then when it got real cold, I would just wear the the shell and no liner underneath it. I just like you said, stick a thumb or stick a finger out. And the wind was so bad last weekend. It wasn't really that cold. It was probably 14, 14 miles an hour. Yeah. Or 14 degrees, sorry, but the wind was about 40, 45 miles an hour. And for the first time, I had to use the liner and the shell. And that, would you two quit making faces? I'm trying, I can't keep my train of thought. 
It's all right. It's, it's just a few few choice words coming out that uh, it's good. It's good. Keep going. Apologies, my friend. It's windy. <laughs> all so, right. Let's. We'll forget that. <laughs> it's gone. Thanks, Mark. No, no. It's windy. The shell's there. So the liners, yes, the liners, I do wear the liners themselves. There's what's called a durable liner, which is a full goatskin leather palm again, and basically a wind-water-resistant fabric on the outside. Um, that I wear down, I can wear that shoot, down to, I don't know, minus 25 without the, the shell glove. I mean, it's super warm for me. You know, thin leather, I mean, I like that a lot, but it doesn't have the insulation quality like the merino wools and stuff, so... Yeah, different liners, different strokes. Different well, and strokes. that's probably something you could throw into your fall kit too, right? Where you just have it in your backpack and you just use it if you just, you know. Right. We have one that we call the Heat 2. So that's a transition one. And they're perfect for fishing. So it doesn't have the tops of your fingers. It's like a three-quarter glove, you know? So you stick your hand in there and it's just got a flap. Kind of like the Sim stuff, you know, for fishing and everything. Right. Except this stuff is like pretty water-resistant material and everything. It works really good. And they're selling like just like hotcakes. You know, but that's good for fall, like you're talking about. Transition weather, right? You know, not essentially where you need the cold, crazy stuff, but I'd still rather go the layer system where I have the, the liner, and then if it gets cold, I do the other. So now I have, you know, essentially a liner glove and a shell that I could wear from plus 30 to minus 30, and it covers it all. Right. Okay? So costs a little bit more, but it covers a lot more bases. All right, so I want to ask you, let's just totally leave this whole cold weather thing. What do you think about this new 1DX Mark III? <laughs> like, what have you heard about it? Because I've just heard a little bit. I put my name on a list. I put in a deposit. I'm going to get one. It's got to be awesome. But what you're in the know, what, what do you know about it? So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the know as far as how much they want me to know. Um, so I'm still under NDA, so I can't talk about too much of it because they haven't, they haven't told us... Uh, what we could say as far as megapixels and the other stuff. So I, I, I can't really kind of cover all that. Right. Um, the autofocus system is going to be groundbreaking, um, kind of cutting edge for, you know, for what they're producing, uh, different sensors, um, stuff like that. You know, the ergonomics are pretty similar to the 1DX Mark II. Is it the same battery? Uh, I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm oh. pretty sure it's the same battery. I, I think it is. I think it's supposed to be. You know, hopefully the L brackets and everything else will, will still fit. Otherwise... Right. Uh, there goes another hundred and fifty dollars. You or know, more for new, for new brackets. Yeah. yeah, or more. Yeah. So they hit us up every time. And wasn't um, there something about four K at sixty with video? Yeah, it will. So that's what they're saying. Four K with sixty, yeah, sixty frames per second for video. Um so for you guys, yeah, I think that's gonna make a big difference for us. Um and uh, you know, they they have the dual pixel autofocus. Right, so that's that's a huge advantage for guys who are doing the DSLR video, you know. So you can kind of autofocus with it, and I use that even on the 1DX Mark II, and it tracks. I mean, I lock on a bear, you know, I'll touch the back of the uh, the live preview screen, and it'll track that bear as he moves right across the dang screen, man. Right. It's as long it's as you amazing. have good contrast, it's pretty awesome. Right, but that's how they all are. It's all contrast. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no. I was watch. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, or actually, it was a YouTube video. And I don't know if you guys watch any of this stuff, but it was Peter McKinnon and Marquez. I don't know what his last name is. Super popular. This dude's got like 10 million um, subscribers on YouTube, right? So super popular. Um, they were having a little question and answer thing. And they're like, if you could have the best camera in the world, what would it be? You know, that was a question from the audience. What would make oh. up that best camera in the world? 
and they were like a red camera with the raw 4K 120 uh, frames per second with the Canon dual pixel autofocus. Put those yeah. two together and you would be set. Yeah, that autofocus, the dual pixel, and I think we're the only one that have it right now, you know, the Canon. It's a huge difference, man. It's crazy. I mean, it it does its job. You know, it's funny because we, we talk about autofocus a lot, you know, when we're doing all this stuff, and that's the two biggest things, right? First is getting the exposure. The second is how to properly use the autofocus systems. And, and you know, a lot of the video guys, obviously, are doing manual focus, and they get really good at it. You know, but if we have it, something we can utilize, right, like that dual pixel autofocus, you know, which kind of compares it and, uh, uh, you know, we'll track the subjects. I mean, that's a really big deal, especially for flying stuff. Right. I mean, how many hours did it take you to be able to track a bird, you know, with a, a 50 to 1,000 millimeter video lens, you know, uh, as it's flying and maintain focus, man? Doug amazes the, sh- you know what, out of me just because he just is, per- he's perfected it, you know, and, and, and I can do it occasionally. But it's a lot of trying, and you can't in the natural world. You just you don't. Ha- it's not like a repetitious thing. You never will get that same thing to happen again. So you, you either got to be good enough to get it right now, or you know you may never get to see it or get it again. So, yeah, I've seen Birdie doing it from National Geographic when I was up in the Arctic. You know, young guy, and uh, it's, it's just amazing, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's a skill set. You know, it's it learning. is. It's and there's lots of little cheats and stuff nowadays where you can put on the edge detection on your monitor, or you can do a couple other things and I use that a lot and it helps. And then I cheat a lot with my aperture. I mean, I'm running F8, F11 a lot just cause you yeah, just have sure. that little cheat factor in there, but CYA. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah well, I'd that's good to look- know. I, I think that camera is going to be pretty sweet. I think it's worth getting it. I still, I am so comfortable with that camera that if I'm so with this shoot, when we were hunting pheasants, I was using the little Sony's on the Ronin S just because it's a small little compact thing for video and I'm out in the field. But when it came time to getting shots of that dog running full blast at me with a pheasant in its mouth, it was cannon all the way. Because I know that it's going to track that dog and it's going to just, both for stills and video, it's going to track that. And every every video or every still shot I took was amazing. You know, the focus yeah. is awesome. Yeah, and this one's supposed to be head and tails over the others. Really? You know, it's supposed to take the 1DX Mark II and bring it to, like, the whole next level. You know, so I'm, like, I'm thrilled. I mean, I'm hoping that I get the camera to take with me to Yellowstone. You know, I put the request in, and there's only a few coming into the States and stuff. There are some people in uh, in Europe that are kind of testing them out right now. But I'm hoping I get one to take to Yellowstone with me, you know, to kind of put it through its paces, particularly with the new 400 and the new 600 lenses. You know, so that's that's, like, the Ferrari of this stuff, right? Let's see what this can really do, you know. And, what did you uh, just say? There's new 400s and new 600s. What are they on like yeah, version so four the, now? Yeah, the series, the series threes, you know. So the 600 series three, and the 400 series three, they're if you haven't tried them, man, they are amazing. What they are they are, like a thousand bucks? Yeah, close. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know yeah. how you can keep up with all this. I mean, cost wise, gotta, I don't know how the heck. Light. The 600. I handheld it the whole trip for all the Arctic stuff and for everything I did in Yellowstone, I handheld it, right? So that brings up another point for you. You have to use a tripod, right? Because nobody right. wants to watch a video. video with Dramamine, yeah. you know? Right. But, but for us, okay, we have one – people come on the trips with 100 to 400s and tripods. And I'm like, what's the purpose of the tripod? And they're like, well, I want to stabilize the gear and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, there's only two times you want to use a tripod. If the gear's too heavy and you can't handhold it, right? 
or you're sitting in one location or three, right? So one location for a long time fixated on one subject, or you want to do blurs. But other than that, if I'm shooting at 1,600th of a second, what do I need a tripod for? It's more debilitating. So exactly. even with the 600 handheld, I could drop down the one knee. I could turn left, turn right. All right, I could spin around. I mean, you know, part of what we do is little fleeting moments, right? That's what makes the difference between, hey, I got a picture or I got the picture of a lifetime, right? So if I'm trying to raise tripod legs or lower the thing or spin and drop and, ah, it drives me crazy. So yeah. the new gear, it's not that I just want to go out and say, well, okay, I'm going to buy a, a $13,000 lens, right? I mean, that, that couple of pounds that shaved off that lens physically allows me to do my job better. You know, so that's why I did it. You know, I sold the other ones and got the new ones, and uh, it makes a big difference. I mean, that 600, the new Canon one, when you hold it, you you won't believe it. It's light. I mean, unbelievably lighter. Right. You know, the, I guess the I did rent lighter, the 400 28. Those yeah. are about the same weight, aren't they? The 604 the and the 400 less. Yeah. Is it's it even less? Yeah, yeah, I used it, and I used it handheld, and it was great. And that was for it's, stills, but but it's shorter, so it it just doesn't feel as as balanced like even though the 600 is a little bigger and heavier just feels more balanced you know so the 400 squatter and you know just kind of squeezing the, the weight into a smaller space but um yeah it's it's and tax sharp i love the 428 and I, I think it's awesome yeah. you know for wildlife just that bokeh in the background yeah it's cool I, I, for go ahead professional Rick. or any serious wildlife photography i think one of the biggest evolutions in gear is is shedding that tripod in the past i don't know six seven eight years Maybe that far back, five anyway. It it opens up so much for us. So it, there's no logical sense anymore, unless, like you said, if somebody can't manage it for whatever strength reason or comfort reason. But if you can, it frees up so much mobility that in in such a fast response. There's yeah. there's no makes no sense to shoot on a tripod if you can handle the gear. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's opened up a whole other world, you know. And every it used to be taboo, right? You'd see guys oh, who for a while, yeah. Everybody's like, what are you doing? You don't know what you're doing. It's like, well, that's okay. You stand there, and I just, you know, come away with twice as much material. Right. I right. remember what, the first time I ever even considered doing it, it was with Mark. And he, we were shooting moose in Alaska. Imagine that. And he shows me this picture, this spectacular picture that I saw with my eyes while I was setting up my tripod. <laughs> and Mark has it, right? And I'm like, okay, the writing's on the wall here. He's getting those moments that are so fleeting and right at the very beginning uh -huh. that are so natural. And I'm still messing around with my tripod trying to get it that tall enough or short enough or whatever I needed to do. And you just And I would on. swear to you the IS works way better handheld than it ever does on a tripod. Oh, I'd shut it off on a tripod. Yeah. I'd rather not have it on a tripod. Yep. So I shut it off now. Anything below 30th of a second? You know, because you can see the thing wander. So you're on a tripod, you know, and if you put it in live, you'll see it go, yeah. you know, it'll move yeah. around, man. And it's you when know? you're shooting video, that's bad. Because oh, people yeah, sure. are like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> I mean, this is like, eh, eh, eh. yeah, it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. How to get clients. Yeah. yeah. Well, you put the 3D glasses on and the Dramamine, <laughs> and it's, it looks pretty good. But, but yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it's crazy stuff, you know, heavy gear. Yeah, that's the problem with the video, man. I mean, it's seriously heavy tripods and, you know, and all that stuff. Well, I was hoping that the Really Right Stuff would come out with a system for doing DSLR video, you know, to put the rail system right on a, a 1DX and a 600. 
you know, to be able to stabilize, you know, three points on the lens and the gear, you know, so that we don't pick up the little bit of tremor when we're shooting. You know, one little gust of wind. I mean, just a whisper of wind. You know, you're doing video on a 600-millimeter lens, man. You know the deal. Even, even with the rail system, because I have them all, it still is. I mean, it's just there's so much surface area on the 600, it's so hard to keep yeah. it steady. But uh, uh, do you have one? I mean, I can show, I can send you where to get all that stuff. At yeah, that'd cost. be great. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I'm doing yeah, all carbon got, fiber. I, yeah, the carbon fiber stuff. I have the really right stuff, long lens support. But the rail is like three quarters of an inch thick. It weighs. It's, it's heavy. Yeah. heavy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unnecessarily heavy. Yeah. I, they, I think they cannibalized it from, you know, from a couple of other parts that they had. Let's just use this rail. Well, back in the old making... days, they did that with a lot of the yep. cine gear, the the big film gear. It was always right. a solid, like a um, an airy plate, yeah. and then it would. You know, I had a guy custom making this stuff for me in Canada, early, early on, and I think they just carried that over. It works. Yeah. yeah. It's just not as. It's not as good as it's the too rail heavy, system. man. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I get it. Mass equals stability, right? That's how it always works. You know. People, well, I want a lighter cut, you know, tripod for my 600. I go, well, you know, there's a downside to that, right? But I'll but, tell you what, yeah. I haven't used it yet, but I got the catalog from Really Right Stuff the other day in the mail, and I saw, you know, we I interviewed the guy. I can't remember Joe. his name. Joe. Joe Jones. Yeah. Joe we Jones. interviewed him on the podcast, and it was awesome to talk to him. At that point, he was talking about coming out with his new video head. Well, it's out, and I looked yeah, at I saw it. it. It looks pretty darn awesome. I mean, it's $6,000 yeah. awesome, but. Yeah. But it's yeah. But what what's a satchel head? Yeah, same thing. I want you know the the heads I'm using are anywhere from six to ten thousand bucks. If you're right. getting one that'll handle the weight. So if anybody's in the market for it, I would highly recommend checking that one out because I'll bet it's. Yeah. I mean, really, right stuff's always been really good. Anyways, are they still making the smaller fluid head? Uh, really, right? I don't know. Yeah, I think they had. I didn't see it in the catalog. I just saw the bigger one. So, I don't know. So Doug, Doug and I, you know, we're doing that uh, cinematography trip up up to. Uh, do the loons in June, right? right to teach DSLR video and everything. The what? Is he taking his boat? Yeah, he's gonna take the boat What's up there. What's he call yeah, it, Ron? Yeah, the minnow, swamp crawler, the swamp the crawler. One. I don't know the bigger one he bought. You well, know, he made together. it. Yeah, yeah, he made it. Yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, we're taking that. And um, anyway, so we need uh, like you know uh, um, fluid heads for people to use four fluid heads. So I got to call up Joe at uh, Really Right Stuff and see if we can use them. If they got the smaller ones, you know, I don't, I don't know. think we'll need. I'll have people. to look. Yeah. If there's not, there's that. there's some decent ones on the market that are smaller that just for guys it. to play with. Yeah. yeah. See if we can get somebody to, uh, you know, just kind of let us use them. You know, which is good too, because then the the participants will end up buying them. For know? sure. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard. You got it's. It's, it's a, a different it's, world, you know, doing the video. It really it's a is. different mindset for me. Every time I try and do somewhat both, yeah, <laughs> I can't. You know, and you talk about frame rates, right? So we try and teach people. You could do video for video's sake, or you could do video for stills, right? So right. I remember Red was talking about this a while ago. Yeah. So now you could take, you could shoot 1,600th of a second at 60 frames a second, right? So you can get 8 megapixel stills or 32 megapixel stills off an 8K. Holy crap. Why do I even need still cameras anymore? So personally, if you really want my opinion, that's where I think it's all going to go. Right, so the guys who are just shooting stills, it's not going to happen five years, ten years down the road. It's all going to be video. It's going to be all like mirrorless stuff. It's all going to be 60 frames a second at 16 hundredths of a second, and I could pull out the definitive moment of that bear diving in the water, grabbing that salmon. Right? Yep. If you want to shoot it for video, then it's twice the frame rate. But I can't freeze the 
the bear jumping in the water at 60th of a second or 125th of a second. Right. Right? Right. But I could certainly use 16 hundredth of a second at 60 frames a second and pull video stills off it. It's still a frame metrics. of mind. Yeah, it's still uh, you still have to either if you're shooting the red for stills, you have to shoot for stills. The camera setup has to be for stills. If you're shooting yeah. for video, and it's really just about the look. I mean, it's just a crispier look when you're shooting for stills. And But I think these cameras are just, they just keep changing and keep, I don't know, it just keeps getting better. But I think yeah, you're please. right. I mean, the I think I told this story once before on the podcast, but one of my buddies, and actually we had him on the podcast too, Darren Carroll, he shoots a lot of golf. In the old days when we would shoot, you know, high frame rate, 1DX, Mark IIs, and we wanted to get the swing of the club. We wanted the ball in the shot. You just you time it with the golfer. It's all about that golfer's swing as to how to catch all that. So it would take us two or three times. But now sure. with these cameras that are shooting 20 frames a second, it's one, one, one and we're done now. I mean, you can just hold the button. You're going to get it because you're shooting so fast. Yeah, but don't they have the cameras now that start even before? It's like I forgot what it's called, but it's taking pictures before oh, you. Oh, pre-roll. Yeah, pre-roll. Yeah, what the my hell? pre-roll. I run pre-roll all the time with wildlife because you got to. You you're using battery. That's the downside, right? So Cheater. I'm constantly using battery. But when you're sitting there waiting for that animal to do something and you just don't know when it's going to happen, pre-roll is your. And on the reds, you can set it up anywhere from like five seconds to thirty seconds. But then you've got to manage your battery. So if you're in some remote location, you can't be doing that a lot because charging those batteries takes forever. Yeah, but pre-roll. That's like that's like wow. <laughs> It's forethought. It's like, oh, unbelievable. See, before like long, you're going to have a chip in your head, and you're just going to look at stuff. <laughs> yeah, and then but it's, it's like just me gonna... saying, you know what? I'm just going to hold the motor drive down, hoping that thing takes off. <laughs> you know, we, we were filming eagles in, in the Rockies one afternoon, and I had a video camera rolling. I had my still camera in my hand. Video's on a tripod, and I didn't have that luxury, that technology. So it's just rolling. For like an hour and a half, I were chatting, and the eagle's chilling on the branch, not taking off. And Mike's got the red set up with, you know, the 30-second pre-roll and and of course anyway it just but how do you know when to start the pre-roll it's always going it's all it just as soon as he hits record it goes back 30 seconds and captures that so when the bird lifts off it's guaranteed to have it yeah without i just hit a button and i might i have i have an app that'll run the red so you just hit pre-roll and it's just constantly pre-rolling so it's and then as soon as that once the bird's gone then i hit record and it goes back that 30 seconds and you got it Damn. <laughs> That's crazy. It's the yeah. same thing. You think about the polar bear cubs coming out of the den. You yeah. know, if you leave the camera rolling for that magical second of the first time they pop their head up, or do you have pre-roll? Yeah. If you're Michael but I don't Moore, get it. I don't get it. How do, what, what determines when the pre-roll is going to start? Well, you start it. So let's, let's say we get to a location and we're going to shoot the polar bears coming out of the den. So as soon as we set up our tripods and it's solid and we got plenty of batteries, I hit record. But what I'm hitting is pre-roll. So that pre-roll is just constantly writing to the buffer. Right. But it's not recording it to your card. So you're not putting it on the media. It's on an internal buffer. As ah, okay, soon I got as, it. I got as it, I soon got as it. you hit record, it dumps from the buffer to your card, and you're good to go. And the reds wow, can do so 30 seconds just because it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't eat rocks. up your card. Holy cow. Okay, that makes perfect sense, man. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. It's the only way to go when you're shooting wildlife. Yeah, but uh, there was a guy shooting Olympus on the... Uh, on the Galapagos trip with me, and he's got that in a little Olympus camera. Yeah, some of the little ones have. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I would assume most of these. And you, hopefully the 1DX Mark 
what is it? One DX Mark III. Yeah. Hopefully that happens. Who knows? I don't know. You can't keep up, man. It's it's unbelievable. It's an education all the time. Yeah, it's just ah, wow. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, where's this all going to be in a couple of years? It's going to be crazy. Michael broke trying to keep up with it. I don't know. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Balancing act. Yeah. Yeah. But wow, it's exciting. No, so I, that's the first time the pre-roll was really explained to me. So it just writes to the buffer. It's not writing to the card. Right. You know, so you're not, you're not eating up those little cheap uh, you know, SSD uh, red system cards. Yeah, most of the smaller cameras that have it are just, you know, it'll do a max of 10 seconds, which is generally that's all you need. Yeah. But some of the bigger cameras that have more of a buffer, then you obviously can go longer. Well, usually and... it's just that the problem is the synapse difference between here and here, right? Yeah. Between the time it goes from your head to your finger, you missed it. So it's even the to go same back, thing that... as using a tripod and yeah. not a tripod. Right. Wow. Yep. Right. I'm sorry. I still can't get silk underwear out of my head. So. <laughs> right. like... Well, it's yeah, been I awesome think... talking to you. I think we... Uh... If you're going to get that camera ahead of schedule, it'd be fun to just get a little rundown. I mean, I with your schedule this spring, I don't know that you're going to have time. Yeah, we got a hole. Yeah, so, I mean, if I get back from, uh, you know, from using it a month in Yellowstone, you know, before I go to Africa and you guys want me to, you know, talk about what I think, yeah, you know, hopefully I'll get it. You know, I don't know. I'm right on the cusp now. I want to sell my 1DX Mark IIs, you know, but I'm like... What if they don't get me the other cameras? Then I got to borrow them, and I'm going on a trip with cameras. You know, I hate, even if I get cameras from CPS or whatever else it is, it's not my camera, you know, and I don't know how it's, you know, if it's working exactly to my specs and, right. you know, is it tuned to my lenses, and it freaks me out to do that. So if I knew definitively I'd have the other cameras in hand, you know, then I would I would try and, you know, swap all the gear out, but well, it's kind of so scary. So here's a little tidbit I heard. Now, whether this is true or not, I mean, it's probably just a sales tactic, right? So I buy all my cameras from cameras like that that are hard to get. I've got a camera shop that where they treat me right, yeah. right? So I was talking to that guy the other day. He's like, well, you ought to put in a little deposit on this because I'll get you, I'll get you the cameras. You'll be one of the first to get the cameras. I'm like, okay, so when is this going to be? He's like, well, yeah. we have the Canon reps coming in to, to do our whole tutorial for our salespeople on this date he's like i have a feeling that it's going to be a week or two after that and we'll have those cameras and that was all well, in that, january yeah right so so the speculation for me is i'm hearing in january yeah you know uh but but it hasn't come directly from from the source no you know, it hasn't say, it, it's just leaking through the grapevine thing so you know i'm hoping i mean i'm seriously hoping i know they're they're some of the places are taking crazy deposits on other cameras you know in europe and stuff now so yeah i mean if the autofocus, please, is, is everything that it's supposed to be, it's going to open up a whole new world for us. You know? It's like pre-roll. It's like pre-roll. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that just, that's over the top. And then Ron's going to have to switch thing. back to Canon now. Well, if they don't open any more service repair centers, yeah, you just might have. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Well, yeah, let's get you back on. If you get those, we'll just, uh, Ron stays in touch with you pretty good. But let's just see. And then if you have time, let's do that just, just for fun. I mean, it's kind of fun yeah. to talk about the new stuff and see what, you know, someone like you out there using it would be great. I'm I also want to do that with the new mirrorless Canon whenever they decide to do that. But you were spot on. I do have to point that out. The last time we did a podcast with you, we hit you up about that. We're like, so 
when is the next mirrorless for Canon coming out? And you're like, eh, it's going to be one more DSLR first. Then that's that's not what I'm just reading the last week or so. And oh, what they've you been find? talking about doing a hybrid because you got all these people with the the old mount, and now you're switching to the R mount. So now they're talking about some kind of hybrid system that's coming out next. Well, I think the 1DX Mark III has to be a hybrid, isn't it? No, the, the, the Mark III is definitely not a hybrid. Oh, okay. Um, but they are talking about, not, not just, yeah, some kind of hybrid thing where, where Ron's right. It'll use the RF and EF lenses. You know, so I, I saw it online, whether it's speculation or not. I don't know. I haven't heard anything direct from Canon on it. You know, it's just kind of out there on the rumor sites. But, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to buy that. Why would I, you know, it's one of the other. Yeah, I'm not sure how that would work. Yeah, but I'm yeah. Sure, they've got people smart enough to figure it out. And they, you know, the, so that that same um, site or whatever it was where we where we saw that information, they were saying that well, they pulled a lot of people, and people said, well, we like mirrorless, but we don't want to have to buy new lenses, and you know, and that kind of thing. You know, the adapter, right? So I've been using the R a lot, and I really like the camera. The quality images is fantastic. So you use the adapter. They use the EF lenses, and it works flawless. There's no slowdown in autofocus. There's no discrepancy in any of the ergonomics or the way that it works. You know, a matter of fact, it's even better because now I have a ring on the, you know, on the adapter that I could set just to change ISO or whatever else I want, you know, as far as a custom function. So it's one little piece of adapter. It doesn't make any difference at all. Doesn't you know, it have the drop-in filter in it, too? No, they have one that's got a drop-in filter, yeah. Yeah, but they got the one that's got the control ring that, that works phenomenally. I mean, there's no slowdown at all with autofocus, none that I could see. You know, so I don't know what the big deal is. Just get the adapter and you could use it for, you know, all your lenses that you got, you know. So I don't know. I don't know. The hybrid thing, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. You know, I am looking forward to that crazy high megapixel one that, that Canon's supposed to come out. You know, whatever they're talking about on the rumor site, 70 something megapixels or something like that. You know, so I think there will be specific, um, you know, times that that'll be advantageous as well. And it's supposed to have a new sensor and better dynamic control and, you know, yeah, so I'm hoping we uh, we lead the game, you know. Um, but we'll it's see. too expensive to not uh, yeah, for them to not lead the game for us because you get invested in one camera system, you don't want to be switching around. No, no, but you know I, you know everything's going so fast, and the guys who did jump on the mirrorless right away, you know it's big hype. But but there's a certain percentage of that market, like, and that is the serious pro market, I think. You know, the guys who are doing the Olympics, the guys who are doing the hardcore stuff from Geo and all those guys, they're not using the, the mirrorless gig out there. You know, it's just because of the cold weather and because of the temperature extremes and reliability factors. The new glass is over the top. I mean, it's sharp, man, crazy sharp, you know. But I think until that's seriously proven itself, you know, it's going to be difficult for guys whose livelihoods completely depend upon it to make that 100% jump. You know, to say, okay, I'm only going to go to the Olympics with, you know, this particular camera system and nothing else. I don't know. You know, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe the guys who were shooting, uh, you know, the, the S company stuff, you know, who haven't gone from DSLR to, to the mirrorless, that's, that's one thing. But I think the Canon and Nikon guys, I think there is a little bit of a hesitancy, you know, um, for them to say, okay, I'm going to make the jump and go straight to mirrorless and I'm going to do this once in a lifetime, you know, um, you know, Olympic shoot. I don't know. Right. I, don't know. I agree. 
you know, if I miss an elk, not a big deal. My life's not going to change, you know. But uh, that's yeah. the thing. But if you miss a, a world record time on the hundred yard dash, you, you're, yeah, you're yeah, you're as good as your last that, shot, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Got to shoot well, red with pre roll. One yeah. of the reasons I've always loved wildlife photography is it's on me. Assignment, when I get sent on assignment, it's a whole different situation, as you guys know, right? That responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, but that pressure is pretty cool sometimes. It does push you, you know, to, to do the best you possibly can, you know. Um, self-imposed a lot of times, but but that's okay. You know, we're our own worst critics. And if we're not, you know, people ask me a lot, you know, do you worry – you're booking these trips and you're taking clients and participants with you. Do you worry that the wildlife's not going to show up? Every damn time. <laughs> yeah, every time. My livelihood depends upon that. You know, so you're trying to do as much research as you can. The same thing you guys, going out by yourself or doing an assignment. You don't want to waste that time. I don't want to waste people's dollars. You know, so you're picking the best time of year, the best, you know. And then they get crazy questions. You know, so what day is the fall foliage going to be the best? You know, and I'm like, what? Like, yeah, if I could answer that, I'd have a whole different job, man, you know? <laughs> Over the years, I've kind of learned there's wildlife photographers and there's those who want to photograph wildlife, right? And there's a difference. You know, the wildlife photographer, per se, is going to spend the time and go out in the field and study the habitat and the behaviors to get the best pictures they can. Those who want to photograph wildlife are going to drive along the road, jump out of the car if it's convenient, and sometimes end up with spectacular photographs. Right. But there's a difference. You know, there is a difference, you know, and, and we were talking about how to operate the cameras. You could put my one DXs in black bags and I could put my hands in there and I know where every ergonomic you know, part of that camera is. Right. Because it's our livelihood. And when you just take the gear and you have two different cameras with different ergonomics, that state of mind to transition from one camera to the other, you miss those fleeting moments again. You know, and if you're a weekend warrior, and you have a regular job, and you're just pulling that camera out of the bag, you know, once a month, it's difficult, and it can be frustrating, you know. So, yeah, you get in what you get out, you know, and, uh, um, yeah, it's tough. You know, it's tough. I see people get frustrated with it, you know. They want to do it so badly, but you got to put the time and energy in. you got to learn the craft. You know? Well, and that's so what it, I tell people all the time. You know what? If you got a camera and you're, you are a weekend warrior, that's great. Go out and do it. But if you're going to if you want to get proficient, go photograph your kid's soccer game. Go photograph, I don't know, the backyard, the dog in the backyard. I mean, just get used to that camera. Just make time to do it. Right. Sure, it used to make fun of me because I just sit on the couch as I'm watching a football game and I'm always playing with the ergonomics. I'm shooting the screen. I'm shooting the lamp. I'm shooting, like, just different stuff, you know. And half the time, we, it, it's like when you're in the field, you know if it's a good picture or not, right? At this point in our careers, we know if it's a good picture. Right. And sometimes, you know, it's not, but you still want to see if, well, let's see what the camera will do. And you're shooting it for giggles, you know, or just to see what the camera's capable of doing. You know, I already said to myself, hey, this isn't going to be a picture I'm going to keep. But let me just see if I could do this or I could do that. You know, and that's part of the process. You know, so if we know how far we could push the camera to the extremes, well, that's advantageous to us later on. You know, so I'm constantly, you know, seeing and it's all a learning process. If I fire something off and it doesn't work. For me, that's positive because now I know next time not to do it. Right. But if and I don't try, how do I know? And in today's digital world, you can afford to do that because it's just exactly. it's just data. It's not that big of a deal. Exactly. Well, the more you use this equipment, it really becomes an extension of us, right? 
It's instinctual. We don't that piece of gear that you use professionally. You know every button, like you said. Think of it like a professional musician on a piano. They're not thinking where the keys are anymore. They're playing, right? right. They're just they're they're attached to that. It's flowing, and it's the same with our with gear. People who use it all the time. So, if you want to become proficient, and, and obviously composition, all these other elements are so rele- relevant. But knowing your camera is right up there. I think it's perfect. How many how many professional piano players or guitar players stare at the strings or the keys? <laughs> They're not, not one. No. Man, they know where it is, right? Boom, it's yeah. all there. You know, it's the same thing. If you have to stop and pull your eye away from the viewfinder every time, you know, to see where the ISO button is or the shutter or f-stop button, you know, or where's my autofocus? Yeah, man, you're missing pictures, you know? Yeah. And I think we discussed this uh, a few times in the last podcast we did together that I try and be as proactive as possible. Right? It's not about the picture before you. It's about when you wanted to press the shutter. And the more you can envision the picture in your mind before you take it, the better rate of success you're going to have. So you could set up for that scenario before it happens. You know, Here's the elk on the ridge. Right? Well, that's not a bad picture. Let's go 100 yards down the road. So the elk hits the clearing, exposed to the background. Now i got a perfect silhouette. You know? So you got to think it all through. You, know? you can't see the legs here. Well, if I move 10 feet down the road... You know, I'm going to be able to see the, the legs on the elk when it comes out of the bushes and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And the more you master the technical part of it, I think that you can concentrate on the aesthetics, right? If you're caught up in the ergonomics of the camera and, you know, what's my exposure going to be and how do I focus the camera, you can't concentrate on any of that, you know, and it's debilitating. Yep. So, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It's, well, I'm looking forward to, like I said, I love the, the winter gear, the survivalist mentality when I'm filming out in the wild and in the north through the cold season. I want to check out these gloves. Thanks for talking about them today. Yeah, I appreciate always, all of it, guys. It's fun. You know, it's, yeah, I like this. I'll do it anytime you guys want. You know, I like talking about it and people learn from it, you know, and to get people who are in the industry and kind of savvy, you know, we can hopefully impart some knowledge to, to people and make their, you know, their photography a little better. So, well, it's always a pleasure. I always love hearing about your adventures, your stories, and there were some serious pro tips in there today, though. The felt buttons, I'm on my way. It works. Yeah, simple little thing, those felt buttons. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, thank thank you. you. Continued success. Stay warm. Before yeah, we thanks. go, where where do they get the gloves? So if somebody wants to get some of these, what what's the best? Do you have a website, or what's the best? Yeah, way? of course we do. Yeah, so like a month ago, we... Uh, we just opened a full-blown website for the gloves. So if you punch in the heatcompany.com, okay, that goes to Europe, right? And then you're going to pay extraordinary shipping to come back here. Any place in North America now, I open the website. It's called theheatcompany.us. So when you click on that, it's, it's everything. It's reviews. It's videos. It's how-tos. It's size tables. It's, it's very informative. Um, go on there. If you've got questions, you can always email us directly at info at um, theheatcompany.us, right? Or you can order directly from the site or any one of our dealers, um, B&H, Outdoor Photogreer, Naturescapes. There's a bunch of companies that are, that are selling these, and uh, that gives you the, the ability to go check them out if you're local, you know, for sizing. Um, but they are pretty true to size, so you can kind of check that out. But again, it's theheatcompany.us, and there's a little uh, dialogue that will open up. So if you're in Canada, click on that one, and our U.S. rep will take care of you in Canada. So you don't have to ship back and forth across the border, um, customs and the other stuff. And if you're in the U.S., just click on U.S. and, and we'll handle you. 
And if you're yeah. a listener in the in Europe or somewhere else, then they can go to theheatcompany.com and get them over yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. If you're in Europe, yep, and you want to get them directly uh, anywhere in Europe, just go heatcompany.com. So yeah, yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thanks very much. You said too yeah. the last 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 thing I promise. You have a couple of videos on that stuff that we can put in our show notes. Yeah, uh, I can w- send you the links. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can yeah. send you links, or if you go to uh, B and H's website. Just punch in Charles Glatzer, my name, video B&H. There's a bunch of little um, stuff that I've done at B&H's store um, for Canon, but they do videotape it all. So there's one on cold weather uh, gear, uh, basically Yellowstone, but it's pretty applicable to wherever we go for cold weather environments. Um, how to expose for white subjects, you know, all that kind of stuff on there. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you can check that out. And, uh, again, you know, just shoot us an email. Um, anybody who signs up for the trips, we do send a cold weather document which has um, manufacturers and all that kind of stuff on there. And I think I can send you a link, um, Churchill Wild, which is where we do a lot of the on-ground polar bear trips, did a little blog cast. And in that, they also put all my um, product people with links. So if I think, you know, this Rab coat or that Mountain Gear hardware or Arcteryx or Fall Raven or, you know, whatever piece of product that I've used in the field personally that I think is something that people should look into, uh, that link is listed with that. So if you go to Boots, it'll stay uh, Baffin Boots, Steiger Mucklock, so you know they have an idea of what we're talking about. So thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can find more of our team's work on Instagram, Facebook, and on YouTube at Wild and Exposed Podcast. Now take a moment and thank our hardworking and talented producer, Missy McKenzie, for all that she does behind the scenes to bring you this podcast on a regular basis. And no matter which platform you're listening to us on, make sure to hit that follow, that subscribe button. Give us a positive review, a five-star rating, or a thumbs up, as those really do help us to do what we love to do and to bring you this podcast on a weekly basis. Too many bases in this close, but it's been fun. It's cold. Dress warmly. Prepare for it. Look after your gear. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.